Old Radio. Old Radio. Old Radio. Old Radio. Old Radio. Comedy Podcast. Welcome to Episode 8 of Season 3 of the Old Radio Comedy Podcast. And happy Friday. Our Miss Brooks is one of the best-known classic radio sitcoms and remains extremely popular even to this day among old-time radio fans. It starred Eve Arden as English teacher Connie Brooks, Gail Gordon as cranky principal Osgood Conklin, Jeff Chandler as Brooks' love interest Philip Boynton, and Richard Crenna as student Walter Denton. It ran from 1948 to 1957 and also spawned a TV show that ran for 130 episodes concurrently with the radio show. Our second show today is Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson and June Whitley and Jean Vanderpill as wife Margaret. The quintessential American suburban family, the show set the archetype for many later family radio and TV sitcoms, just as the Aldrich family did for it and others. Rhoda Williams, Ted Donaldson, and Norma Jean Nilsson played the three children, Betty, Bud, and Kathy, respectively. It ran from 1949 to 1954 on radio, and a TV version ran from 1954 to 1960. Now sit back and enjoy the May 15, 1949 broadcast of Our Miss Brooks, followed by the January 5, 1950 broadcast of Father Knows Best. And have a great weekend. Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Friday the 13th brings a feeling of impending misfortune. But our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, doesn't believe in such superstition. No, indeed. I don't need any special day to be unlucky. In fact, ladders shy away when I come near them, and every mirror in the house has seven years' bad luck, because I'm always broke. Uh (laughs) Last Friday was no exception. Have you ever opened your eyes in the morning and felt that everything was going to go wrong that day and then realized that you'd already made your first mistake by opening your eyes? <laughs> well, that's how I felt on Friday when Mrs. Davis entered my room. Up you go, Connie. Up, up, up. Rise and shine. I'm up, Mrs. Davis. Up we go. Out of the sack and hit the deck. I'm hitting. I'm hitting. <laughs> When you're down and out, lift up your head and shout, it's going to be a great day. Well, I'll try it. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be nothing, and I know it. (laughs) Why, Connie, I'm surprised at you. You're not nervous about it being Friday the 13th, are you? Oh, certainly not, Mrs. Davis. Well, I am, and so is Minerva. The cat? Yes, especially after what happened to her this morning. What was that? A black dog crossed her path. (laughs) Now, cheer up, Connie. You'll feel better when you've got a nice breakfast under your belt. Breakfast? Yes, that should help. Then you'll go to school and you'll see your pupils and your friends on the faculty. Yes, that'll be nice. And your principal, Mr. Conklin. There goes breakfast. Davis, I think you have just psychoanalyzed me. The reason I never want to get up in the morning is that I'm afraid to face Mr. Conklin. 
You may not believe this, Connie, but he's probably just as afraid to face you. It's like my brother Victor's experience. You remember me talking about Victor, don't you? He's the absent-minded one. Yes, I remember him, Mrs. Davis. Of course, he's not as absent-minded as my sister Angela. She's really a case. Yes, I know. But about your brother? My brother? (laughs) Victor. Victor? What about Victor? (laughs) You started to tell me about his experience. Oh, yes. He's had a lot of experience. Well, I'll fix... (laughs) I'll fix some breakfast now. Please, Mrs. Davis, drop the other shoe. You know, your brother Victor had an experience which had something to do with my being afraid to face Mr. Conklin? Oh, that's right. Well, Victor was terribly afraid that a certain dog in his neighborhood would bite him if he ever got too close to him. But the psychiatrist who took care of Victor explained that the dog was probably afraid that Victor was going to kick him. And? After a couple of months with a psychiatrist, my brother went right into that dog's yard, and they stayed there together for over an hour. Really? What did they do? They just stood around biting and kicking each other. (laughs) Fortunately, uh, a policeman came by and stopped it. Yes, that was fortunate. Your brother probably couldn't have taken much more of that kicking. Davis, I'm afraid my trouble with Mr. Conklin isn't merely psychological. Whenever we get together, little accidents keep occurring. Accidents? Yes. Ink spills on his shoes, flower pots fall on him. And yesterday, while he was bawling me out for transferring a tiny little flower pot from my windowsill to his head, he broke his glasses. (laughs) Well, maybe you better just stay out of his way for a while, dear. Now, uh, before you do anything else... You've got to get a snapshot ready. A snapshot? Yes. Walter Denton called and said they're getting the yearbook ready, and he needs snaps of the faculty. Oh. Now, I've brought in your album, and we'll pick out a nice picture together. Fine. (laughs) Now, uh, let's see. Where's the nice one of you, Connie? You want to sit on the edge of the bed? Oh, yes. I'll just sit on the edge of the bed, if I may. Oh. (laughs) Now, let's see. Well, is a nice one of you, Connie. Oh, Connie, how did you get down there on the floor? I just came down with the mattress. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, this is the second time this bed has collapsed, and you've got to do something about oh, it. I will, Connie. I'll see that you get lighter pillow slips. <laughs> now you better get up and get dressed, and we can look over the album at breakfast. All right, Mrs. Davis. Watch those springs, Connie. They still have plenty of life in them. (laughs) Connie! Connie, where are you now? You were right about those springs, Mrs. Davis. I'm in the shower. (laughs) Now we'll just push the breakfast dishes to one side. There. And look through your album for a nice picture for the yearbook. I haven't gone through this album in a long time. Oh, look at this one of you, Connie. I love your hair that way. Curling all over your head. Makes you look so youthful. That's what Mother thought. She didn't cut it till I was nine weeks old. (laughs) You look terribly cute, Connie. Stretched out on that rug. What is it? Bearskin? We certainly are. (laughs) 
Oh, I don't think that would be the ideal picture for the yearbook, Mrs. Davis. Too dressy. Oh, here's one taken at the beach. My, what a stunning bathing suit. That's my French model bathing suit. It was taken at Lakeview Beach last summer. And those sandals are exquisite. Such a pretty design. That's all handwork in the front, isn't it? Sort of. Those are Blue Jay corn plasters. <laughs> ah, I'd better get ready. Walter Denton and Stretch Snodgrass should be picking me up any minute. Oh, they're such nice boys. But you know, Connie, I can't help but feel sorry for Stretch. He's a wonderful athlete, I know, but honestly, for a 16-year-old boy, he has the mind of an 8-year-old simpleton. Oh, that isn't fair, Mrs. Davis. Stretch has every bit as much mentality as a 16-year-old simpleton. Well, <laughs> somewhere along the line, that boy's mental development has been arrested. Arrested? It's been sentenced and shot. <laughs> now, if you'll put away that album... Oh, just a minute, Connie. Has the Mr. Boynton ever seen you in it? In the album? No, in the French bathing suit you're wearing in the snapshot. Why, no. I don't believe the bashful biologist has seen me in that. <laughs> Well, he should. That would take his eyes off his frogs for a minute. <laughs> now, let's take this picture out of the album so you can give it to the boys when they get here. Oh, you're joking, Mrs. Davis. If Mr. Conklin saw a picture like that, that in the yearbook, steam would shoot through the top of his head. Oh. <laughs> I don't mean the whole picture, Connie. I've got this scissors here to cut off your head. That's all they'll need for the book. Uh, there we are. Here's your head, Connie. Just in time, Mrs. Davis. Now I can finish my coffee. <laughs> oh, that was very nice. Oh, would you mind answering that, Mrs. Davis? I'll go get my hat and bag and put the finishing touches on my face. Very well, Connie. Hiya, Mrs. Davis. Hi, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Stretch. Walter, come in. Miss Brooks will be with you in a minute. She's just putting her face on. Oh, we're in no hurry. Say, what's that picture you got in your hand? This... Oh, this is Miss Brooks. Let's see. Gosh, now I know what you meant when you said she's putting on her face. <laughs> now, where's her head, Mrs. Davis? Her head? Oh, she's probably got that in her purse. Oh. Her purse? How can she get along with no head? Coming from you, Stretch, a question like that could be very embarrassing. <laughs> Apparently, this picture's been torn, Mrs. Davis. Naturally. You said you just needed a snapshot of Miss Brooks' head for the yearbook, Walter. So we snipped that part off for you. Oh, I get it. But, Mrs. Davis, could we have this lower part of the snapshot, too? Well, I don't see why not, Walter. When you get through with the yearbook, you can paste both parts together again. Gosh, if I may say so, Miss Brooks' figure sure looks beautiful in a bathing suit. Especially in that one, Walter. That's a French bathing suit. Yeah, how do you like it, Stretch? Well, I don't know. I don't understand French so good. <laughs> well, neither do I, but in this case, all you gotta do is read between the lines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, want me to carry the snapshot for you, Walter? Oh, no, thanks, Stretch. It's not heavy. <laughs> Oh, I see I have two chauffeurs today. Hello, boys. Hi, Miss Brooks. Oh, Stretch picked me up today on account of I had a little trouble with my clutch. What kind of trouble, Walter? I lost it. <laughs> you lost your clutch? Oh, yes, ma'am, but I'll find it all right. It can't be much more than a block away from where the emergency brake fell off. 
that's probably just a stone's throw from the motor. <laughs> oh, before I forget, here's the snapshot for the yearbook. Snapshot of who? Oh, this is your face. Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. Well, we better be going if we're going. Yes, it's getting late. Now, remember what I told you, Connie. Be sure and invite Mr. Boynton to take you swimming soon so we can see you in a bathing suit. Please, Mrs. Davis, if Mr. Boynton wants to take me swimming, he'll take me swimming. I'm certainly not going to do anything about suggesting it to him until lunchtime. <laughs> well, we better step on it. We gotta pick up Mr. Conklin on the way to school. Mr. Conklin? Yeah. Harriet called me and told me that her mother had to take their car downtown early this morning, and she was counting on me to pick them up. But if I'd known that, I would have gone to school on my pogo stick. <laughs> so would I have. But we can't let Walter down now, Miss Brooks. Besides, Mr. Conklin isn't so bad. For all we know, he's just as nervous about us as we are about him. Stretch, you're not related to Mrs. Davis's brother Victor, are you? <laughs> no, I guess you just take from the same psychiatrist. <laughs> Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Here's wonderful news, ladies. Wonderful, wonderful news. Now there's something thrillingly new in Palmolive Soap's famous beauty lather. Yes, something thrillingly new. Palmolive's famous beauty lather now brings you new fragrance, new charm, new allure. Millions of women will prefer beauty lather Palmolive over all other leading toilet soaps the minute they try it. For Palmolive Soap's famous beauty lather now has a new, clean, flower-fresh fragrance for new allure, new charm. So, ladies, forget all other beauty care and use Palmolive soap the way doctors advise for a lovelier complexion. Just stop improper cleansing and instead wash your face with Palmolive soap three times a day, massaging Palmolive's wonderful beauty lather onto your skin for 60 seconds each time to get its full beautifying effect. Then rinse. That's all. All types of skin, young, older, oily, respond to it quickly. Don't wait another day to try Palmolive's Beauty Lather. You'll be thrilled by its new fragrance, new charm, new allure. Thrilled again by the fresher, brighter complexion doctors prove may soon be yours. For new loveliness all over, use big, bath-sized Palmolive in tub or shower. <laughs> As our Miss Brooks and the boys are on their way to pick up Mr. Conklin, let's look in on Madison's beloved principal as he and his daughter Harriet are finishing breakfast. Well, Daddy, how did you like your breakfast? It was very adequate, Harriet. Now, if you'll hand me my hat, please. Here you are, Daddy. Thank you. It's a brand new one. How do you like it, my dear? Well, it isn't very colorful, is it, Daddy? Very few black Homburgs are. <laughs> this suit is also new. It's the latest thing, black shark skin. Do you like it? It's real chic, Daddy. Of course, this tie may be a trifle loud with it. It's midnight blue. <laughs> Do you think it's too loud, Harriet? I can't hear a thing, Daddy. I, I mean, it looks fine. This is the outfit I had my picture taken in, the one that's pinned on the bulletin board. Inasmuch as you are the yearbook editor, I wanted you to have a good photo. Thanks, Daddy. Walter will appreciate it, too. Denton, what has he got to do with this? Well, he's associate editor of the yearbook, and he's giving us a lift today. He doesn't give me a lift. In fact, if I may borrow an expression from the undergraduate body, he brings me down. <laughs> what you see in that booby is beyond me. He isn't a booby. Walt is the manager of the baseball team and editor of the Madison Monitor, and, well, he's just an all-around... He's just an all-around... Daddy! All right. I won't say mine if you don't say yours. 
of Walter and Stretch to pick us up. After all, they had to get up earlier in the morning to stop for us after picking up Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks? Will she be along? Of course. Walter always takes her to school. What have you got against Miss Brooks? Nothing at all, Harriet. At least nothing that some new shoes, new glasses, and a head free of a flower pot won't straighten out. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that woman, but when she's in the vicinity, disaster rings in my bones. <laughs> and today is Friday the 13th. Uh... Oh, please, Daddy, you're exaggerating. Miss Brooks is probably just as nervous about facing you as you are about facing her. I doubt it. I wish we could get to school some other way. If only it wasn't so late, we... Oh, well, they lifted the Berlin blockade. Maybe there's hope for me. Well, here's Mr. Conklin's house. Is he still sore at you, Walter? Yeah, but I just can't seem to put my finger on the reason. Well, lately, Mr. Conklin looks upon me with the... Uh... Would repugnance do it? Is that bad? Very bad. Then that would do it. <laughs> That's why I wrote the speech when I knew we were taking him to school. Speech? Yeah. By the time we get to Madison, my future father-in-law and I will be buddies. Oh, before I honk the horn, I'd like you to hear the speech, Miss Brooks. It goes... <clears throat> Mr. Conklin, sir. Excuse me, Walter, but Mr. Conklin, sir, and his daughter Harriet just came out on the porch. They must have seen us pull up. She's leading him down the steps. Something must have happened to his glasses. Oh, yes. Hello, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Hi, boys. Hi, Hi Harriet. Hi, Harriet. How are you this morning, Mr. Conklin? Fairly well, so far. <laughs> Get in, Harriet. Yes, Daddy. I'll sit in the front with the boys. And you sit back here with me, Mr. Conklin. Here, I'll hold the door for you. Thank you. That's a lovely suit you have on. Is it new? Yes, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Brand new. <laughs> your pocket, Mr. Conklin. I'll sew it up when we get to school. Go ahead, Stretch. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Conklin, sir... Shut up, you boob! <laughs> well, I fixed Mr. Conklin's suit and unruffled his feathers when we got to school, and by lunchtime, I was beginning to lose some of my feeling of foreboding especially since Mr. Boynton had invited me to the cafeteria for lunch. Remembering Mrs. Davis's advice, I thought I'd try and get Mr. Boynton to ask me out swimming so I could show off my French bathing suit. I was extremely subtle about it. Did you enjoy your lunch, Mr. Boynton? Oh, very much, Miss Brooks. Me too. Let's go for a swim. <laughs> swim? Isn't it a little early for that sort of thing? Well, we could wait till after school. It'll be later then. <laughs> I mean, early in the year, it's still quite brisk out. Oh, once you get in, the water's warm. Especially at Lakeview Beach. That's only an hour's drive from here. Oh, I'm afraid I don't care much for beaches, Miss Brooks. They're bad for my sinus trouble. Oh. I like swimming in a pool, though. Wonderful, Mr. Boynton. Let's go for a swim in your pool. Uh, I'm afraid that's impossible, Miss Brooks. My pool's at the YMCA. Uh, well, I guess it would alter their routine a bit if I were to walk in there. Oh, I know what we might do. Work on your lawn for a while. I don't have any lawn, Miss Brooks. I live in a bachelor apartment. All I've got is a window box. Perfect. That's just what we'll do. What's just what we'll do? We'll put on bathing suits and water your window box. <laughs> Why do we have to put on bathing suits to water a window box? Oh, 
right. You wear what you want, and I'll wear what I want. No, I'm afraid I won't be free this afternoon, Miss Brooks. You see, I've been searching high and low for another frog like my pet McDougal. He's a leptodactylus pentodactylus, you know. That's obvious. <laughs> I can't seem to find one anywhere. None of the laboratory supply houses handle them, and well, I've got to get one for an experiment. If I bump into one, I'll give you a buzz. Now, if you'll excuse me, Mr. Boynton, I'm going over to the dessert counter. It's getting pretty crowded in here. Well, is there something I can get for you, Miss Brooks? No, I rather enjoy the exercise. I can still get a good post position right on the rail. <laughs> See you in a few minutes. Oh, I'm... Terribly sorry, sir. It was all my fault. Yes, it was, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, I didn't recognize you. You've got new glasses on. I wish you had them on. <laughs> Sit down, Mr. Conklin. I'll replace everything you had on your tray. Now, what can I get you? Well, suppose we start off with some nice split pea soup. Split pea soup, yes, sir. About how much? About as much as I now have in my vest pockets. <laughs> and, Miss Brooks, after you've served me and before you go back to your classroom, stop at the bulletin board, will you? The bulletin board? Yes. There's a picture of me on it, and I'd like you to see just how this suit looked before I met you. <laughs> That'll teach him to call me a boob. Oh, oh, it sure looks funny, Walter. Miss Brooks in a bathing suit with Mr. Conklin's head nailed on the shoulder. <laughs> but this won't get Miss Brooks in trouble, will it, Walter? How can it get her in trouble? These could be anybody's legs. Anybody but Mr. Conklin's, that is. <laughs> Let's get out of here, Stretch. Somebody's coming. Okay, but I'd sure like to see Mr. Conklin's face when he spots his picture. Well, here's the bulletin board, Mr. Boynton. I'll just... Mr. Boynton, do you see what I see? Yes, I think so, Miss Brooks. Is this the suit Mr. Conklin wanted you to see him in? That happens to be me, Mr. Boynton. It was taken at Lakeview Beach. You? Well, that must be a pretty old snapshot. Frankly, I, I like you better without the mustache. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a lot less bald now, too. Those darn kids must have put my picture over Mr. Conklin's for a rib. But if he finds out this is my picture, he'll take my head off permanently. Hmm. Maybe we will drive to Lakeview Beach this afternoon. But first, I better get this picture down, Miss Brooks. They didn't use thumbtacks. These are real nails, and they're hammered way in. Oh, I'd better find a hammer to pick them out with. Come on, Mr. Boynton. The keys to the supply room are in Mr. Conklin's office. Here's his door, Miss Brooks. I'd better knock. Oh, don't bother. Mr. Conklin must still be at lunch. You wait here, Mr. Boynton. I'll go in and get the keys. How do you do? <laughs> I was just coming in, Mr. Conklin. I was just going out, Miss Brooks. <laughs> I thought you were still in the cafeteria. I wish I were. <laughs> just, just for a moment, gaze upon me. Yes, sir. It will be evident even to you that by banging the door in my face, you have broken my glasses. <laughs> the regrettable fact remains, however, that even without my glasses, I can still see you. I just wanted to get a hammer, Mr. Conklin. A hammer? 
You've done a splendid job without a hammer. (laughs) Miss Brooks, call me a foolish dreamer, if you will, but somehow I had hoped that today's pocket-ripping and soup-spilling incidents would appease your voracious appetite for mayhem. But no. No, for the second time in a few days, you have shattered my glasses. Please, Mr. Compton. I can't stand this war of nerves. If you hold me responsible for those accidents, why are you so restrained? You've got high blood pressure. Use it. (laughs) I mean, give me a good, loud dressing down and get it out of your system. Miss Brooks, such crude behavior would be unbecoming to the principal of a high school. To lose control in the presence of others is to betray ill-breeding. Now then, would you be good enough to excuse me for a moment while I walk over to the closet? Of course, Mr. Conklin. Thank you, my dear. (laughs) I feel much better now. And here, I found a hammer in the closet. You may have it, Miss Brooks. Oh, thank you, Mr. Conklin. I'll just take this. I'm sorry I dropped the hammer on your foot, Mr. Conklin. That's all right. I have another foot. Miss Brooks, could I see you for a minute? Why, Stretch, school's been out for ten seconds. Why are you loitering in the hall? (laughs) Well, I've been looking for you, Miss Brooks. I even asked Mr. Conklin if he knew where you were. But a funny thing, the minute I mentioned your name, he ran into the closet. Yes, I know. Why did he do that, Miss Brooks? Quiet, Stretch. (laughs) That's why. Now, what did you want to see me about, Stretch? Well... Harriet Conklin wanted a full-figure picture of you for the yearbook, so I pasted your head to the lower part of the picture we took off the bulletin board. Hmm, I've never had a full-figure picture in the yearbook. I guess Friday the 13th isn't so unlucky after all, unless you happen to be Mr. Conklin. Oh, there you are, Miss Brooks. Isn't it terrible? Isn't what terrible, Walter? Harriet Conklin just got the proofs back for the yearbook. Look at the snapshot section. Look here where it says, This is our Miss Brooks. Oh, let's see. Oh, no. (laughs) Stretch, you pasted the wrong parts together. This is a picture of my face attached to a blubbery body wearing a black sharkskin suit. Gee, maybe there is something to Friday the 13th. Oh, it's an awful break, Miss Brooks. Every teacher and student at Madison will see this. You'll be the laughing stock of the whole school. Gosh, I wouldn't blame you if you bursted out crying. Not me, boys. To lose control in the presence of others is to betray ill-breeding. Will you excuse me a minute? And now, Miss Brooks? I just want to borrow your closet, Mr. Conklin. Just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, 
beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, it looked as if the day might end a little better than it began when Mr. Boynton took my arm as we were leaving the school and said... Uh, let's hurry, Miss Brooks. I'd like to get to Lakeview Beach while the sun's still out. Oh, fine, Mr. Boynton, but let's stop at the house and pick up my French bathing suit. Oh, you won't need a bathing suit, Miss Brooks. Then why are we going to Lakeview Beach? Because of that picture of you on the bulletin board. We've got to stop at the same spot where that picture was taken. But why? Well, I noticed in the snapshot there was a leptodactylus pentodactylus frog right near your left foot. <laughs> If you don't mind, Mr. Boynton, I'd still like to pick up my bathing suit. For what? If it fits the frog, you two can go steady. <laughs> Next week, turn into another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Plum Alley Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Here's good shaving news. Three men out of every four can get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves with Palmolive Brushless Shaving Cream. This is not just a claim. Here's the proof. 1,297 men tried the Palmolive Brushless Way to Shave described on the tube. And no matter how they shaved before, three men out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try Palmolive Brushless yourself. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves, the proved Palmolive brushless way. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Life with Luigi, which follows over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother! Is Maxwell House the best coffee in the whole world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. 
Yes, it's Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your new neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by Maxwell House. The coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. Well, another year is underway. All the excitement of Christmas and New Year's is over. But in the average home, the usual problems of life and living still remain. In Springfield, in the white frame house on Maple Street, the Andersons, like any average family, are back in a well-ordered group. But being an average family, you can bet they won't stay there very long. They never do, do they? Mother? Yes, Kathy? When I finish my dinner, may I go over to Patty Davis's? All right, dear, if you don't stay too long. Mother, how can she? This is her week to dry. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, Kathy, I forgot. Snitcher. <laughs> Kathy, please be quiet and eat your dinner. All right, Daddy. Mom. Yes, bud? I'll be glad to dry the dishes for Kathy. You will? Well, that's very nice, dear. But it's Kathy's chore, and she'd better do it herself. Gee whiz. <laughs> Margaret. Uh, yes, dear? You know, it's very funny, but I could have sworn I heard Bud say he'd dry the dishes for Kathy. I did. You said you'd dry the dishes for Kathy? Sure. You mean just like that? Sure, why not? You know, I think I've been working too hard. <laughs> Everything sounds so strange. <laughs> it was the holidays, dear. They're quite a strain. Well, it's something. You uh, feel all right, don't you, Bud? I feel fine. Maybe I'll go to bed right after dinner. That ought to fix me up. <laughs> but, dear, I told you Judge Mitchell said he was going to call. He's been trying to get you all day. I know. Probably wants me to serve on that highway safety committee. You know, Margaret, you'd think I was the only man in Springfield that could make a speech. Every time somebody dreams up a committee or a drive or a bond rally, get Jim Anderson. Get Jim Anderson. Speeches here, speeches there. Jim, you love it and you know it. But I don't have the time. I don't think I've ever been so busy in my entire life. Anything we can do, Father? No, Betty, I'm afraid not. You know what I've got to do now, Margaret? I've got to revise the schedule on every automobile policy in the office. The rates went up again today. No, Jim, really? How come, Dad? Reckless drivers, that's how come. Oh. 7,100 kids between the ages of 15 and 24 killed in one year. And it's getting worse all the time. Bud... Yes, Dan? Did you take the ashes out this afternoon? Yes, sir, I sure did. Uh, you don't have a report card you want me to sign, do you? Oh, no, Dad. We won't have those until the end of the month. I see. Uh, how's your allowance holding up? Fine, Dad, just great. I don't get it. May I have my coffee, please? Of course, dear. There you are. You don't get what, Dad? This sudden burst of sweetness and light. What are you up to? Why, nothing, Dad, nothing at all. He's probably in love. Oh, mush, girls. All they can think about is love. I'll get it. No, Betty, wait. Uh, Margaret, would you answer it, please? Well, of course, dear, if that's what you want. And if it's Judge Mitchell, tell him I'm out. I um, had a business engagement and won't be back until late. All right, I just hope you know what you're doing. Hello? Oh, hello, Judge Mitchell. Uh, 
No, I'm awfully sorry, but Jim had to go out. Yes, a, a business call. Daddy. Kathy, be quiet, please. Uh, that'll be fine, Judge Mitchell. I'll be sure to tell him as soon as he comes in. Good night. Daddy. What is it, Kathy? You told a fib. I did no such thing. Jim, Judge Mitchell said he'd try you again later. Fine. Give him a horse and he'd make a Canadian Mountie look sick. You said you were out and you weren't out. And if that isn't a fib, what is? I... Uh, I think I'll have another piece of cake, Margaret. <laughs> All right, dear. Daddy. Yes, Kathy. You said you were out and you weren't out. And if that isn't a fib, what is? Kathy, I heard you the first time. Well? <laughs> Margaret. Oh, no, don't get me involved in this. I have enough troubles of my own. Love, honor, and obey. For better or for worse. <laughs> Fine stuff. Um, Kathy. Yes, Daddy? As you grow older, you learn to distinguish between telling an untruth and uh, telling something that isn't true. <laughs> I mean, if you tell an untruth because you're afraid to tell the truth, it's worse than if you don't tell the truth merely because you feel that if you do tell the truth... <clears throat> you see, Kathy... There are times when if you tell an untruth, it isn't really an untruth. Because you mean to tell the truth, but, well, you, you want to be kind, that's all. <laughs> Betty, please. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Betty. Go ahead, Dad. I think it's very interesting. <laughs> What is? What you just said. You mean you understood it? Of course. Well, I'm glad somebody did. How about you, Kathy? I guess so. It's a fib when you're little, but when you grow up, it isn't. <laughs> no, Kathy, that isn't it at all. It's, well, all right, I told a fib. I shouldn't have, but I did. That's what I thought. <laughs> Kathy, can't you see Dad's tired? Why don't you leave him alone? Bud, stick out your tongue. What for? Never mind what for. Just stick your tongue out. Uh... <clears throat> Look all right to you, Margaret? Just beautiful, dear. One of the loveliest tongues I've ever seen. <laughs> all right, Bud. Put it back in. <laughs> Holy cow, now I can't even have any privacy with my own tongue Finish your milk, dear Well, how old do you have to be before people stop looking at your tongue anyway? When you get that old, you start looking at it yourself <laughs> All right, bud, please see who's at the door Okay Why don't you look at Betty's tongue once in a while? She's goofier than anybody Why, Bud Anderson, you little snip Betty, that'll be enough of that But, Father I said that'll be enough of that now, either finish your dinner or go to your room. Oh, I'll be glad to. After you finish the dishes. Oh. May I have the sugar, please? Yeah, there you are, dear. Tell me I'm goofy. <laughs> Say, Dad, it's the minister. Dr. Swain? Well, have him come in. Oh, he said he'll wait for you in the living room. Oh, dear, is, is my hair all right? Do you think I ought to change my dress? You and Dr. Swain going out dancing? <laughs> Jim, stop being ridiculous. Uh, 
Bud, will you help the girls with the dishes tonight, please? Sure, Mom. I'll be glad to. Thank you, dear. Well, shall we go in, Jim? Hmm? Oh, sure. Say, Margaret. Yes, dear? What do you suppose is wrong with Bud? Jim, you have a very suspicious nature. No, I just have a very normal son. Well, how are you, Dr. Swain? Mr. Anderson and Mrs. Anderson. Oh, it's so nice seeing you, Dr. Swain. Well, I hope you'll think so after you learn why I'm here. Oh? Uh, sit down, Doctor, please. Mrs. Anderson? Well, thank you. Ah, there we are. <laughs> that is better, isn't it? Uh, Dr. Swain, this visit wouldn't have anything to do with Bud, would it? Your son? Oh, dear, no. Is anything wrong? No, I was just wondering, that's all. I see. No, no, my visit is based, shall we say, uh, on a far more general community requirement, a need which applies to our entire congregation rather than any individual. Uh, Dr. Swain, you know, we've just gone through a pretty severe case of Christmas, and... Uh, Jim, please. Well, I just want Dr. Swain to know. Mr. Anderson, I'm not looking for donations. Well, <laughs> at this time. Oh. No, no, what I'm looking for right now is advice. Oh, well. You see, at a meeting the other night, the question of family relations was brought up for discussion. Obligations of parents and children to one another. Uh, that sort of thing, you know. I see. Unfortunately, the majority of those present had rather vague ideas concerning the matter and the discussion. And since Mrs. Swain and I have never been blessed with a family, I could add but little light on the subject, of a practical nature, that is. <clears throat> uh, that is why I've come to you. Well, of course, Dr. Swain. Uh, anything we can do to help? Ah, I knew I could count on the Anderson. As I told the others, the Anderson children are so thoroughly normal and so nicely behaved uh, for the most part. I am sure anything their parents tell us will be of the utmost interest and assistance. Oh, you mean you want a speech? Well, well, not a speech, really. Just an informative little talk at our meeting tomorrow night. Oh, well, look, Dr. Swain, you know I'd like to help, but I'm actually up to my ears at work. Well, I'm sure you must be, Mr. Anderson, but you see that... It's not that I don't want to cooperate, Dr. Swain. You know I always have in the past. Of course you have, but you see but that... But after is... all, this is just a simple problem. I'm sure that any other father in the congregation will be only too glad to help you. But, Mr. Anderson, we don't want a father. After all, family relations are merely a practical application of... You what? <laughs> we don't want a father. We feel that the crystal clear viewpoint of a mother is what this particular problem requires. A mother? You mean... Precisely. We want Mrs. Anderson. go along with Dr. Swain on that. Why, any number of problems call for mother's crystal clear viewpoint. Take coffee as another example. Who knows better than mother the wonderful difference a really good cup of coffee can make? Coffee like our Maxwell House. Mmm, that wonderful good to the last drop flavor. You won't find it, you know, in any other coffee. No coffee but Maxwell House. And there's a particular reason why. It's a recipe 
the only recipe under the sun for good-to-the-last-drop flavor. It's mighty important, that recipe. And here's why. After all, the most important thing about coffee is flavor. And that flavor depends on the blend, the kind of coffees in it, and how they're put together. Now, throughout the world, coffee grows in countless different varieties, and you can combine them in all sorts of ways. But there's only one way, one recipe for our famous Maxwell House flavor. And this recipe of ours accounts for the difference, the big difference, between the flavor of just any coffee and the wonderfully good flavor of America's favorite brand. But I want you to know how truly good our Maxwell House is on your own. So tomorrow, open up a pound and enjoy Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good to the last drop. It's less than an hour later in the white frame house on Maple Street. Dr. Swain is gone. The Anderson kids are deep in their homework. Father is deep in his newspaper. Mother is up to her neck in preparation for a speech. And when it comes to speeches, Margaret is a wonderful cook. Pretty, too. Jim. Yes, Margaret? What would you say was the most important link between a father and a son? Money. <laughs> Jim, I'm very serious. So am I. May I please read my paper? If I could only find a central theme. Not juvenile delinquency. Everybody's done that. Jim? Yes, Margaret? Did the automobile insurance rates really go up today? That's right. Did the home office say why? Of course they did. The number of accidents involving youngsters under the age of... Oh, no, you don't. You write your own speech. You're mean. There isn't one other husband in Springfield who wouldn't be glad to help his wife. Margaret, you're absolutely right. I'm nothing but a beast. You mean you're going to help me? No, but I acknowledge the fact that I'm a beast. <laughs> now, may I read my paper? Jim... If you wanted to make the speech, why didn't you say so? If I wanted... Margaret, where did you ever get a ridiculous idea like that? Well, you're sulking like a spoiled child. I'm trying to read my newspaper. It amounts to the same thing. Margaret, I told Dr. Swain I didn't want to make the speech. You heard me tell him. Rubbish. You just wanted him to coax you. Oh, for Pete's sake. Margaret, why is... It certainly isn't my fault that he wanted a mother's viewpoint. Jim, where are you going? I'm going to indulge in one of my pleasant little whimsies. When the doorbell rings, I like to see if maybe somebody rang it. Hello, Jim. Oh, uh, hello, Judge Mitchell. Uh, come in. Thank you. Well, it's certainly nice seeing you. I'm sorry I wasn't in when you called. Uh, let me take your thing. All right. Hello, Mrs. Anderson. How are you this evening? Why, Judge Mitchell, what a pleasant surprise. Won't you come in and sit down? Yes, thank you. Jim, uh, what I have to say won't take very long. There's no need to rush, Judge. You know, I was just saying to Margaret just a little while ago, the fathers of this community ought to take a more active interest in public affairs. Wasn't I, Margaret? Weren't you what, dear? Wasn't I saying what I just said? <laughs> oh, of course, yes. Naturally, being in the insurance business, I have to make a great many calls during the uh, evening... But in spite of Jim, that... Jim, uh, I'm sure you're leading up to something very interesting, but I'm a busy man and I haven't got much time. Is Bud at home? Why, uh, yes, he's in his room. Would you call him, please? Of course. Uh, Bud! You want me, Dad? Yes, would you please come down here? Okay. 
Bud and the stairs don't get along very well. If there's anything that you want me to do, Dad, I... Uh-oh. Good evening, Bud. Bud, Judge Mitchell is speaking to you. I know. I mean, hello. Uh, good evening, sir. Bud, have you told your parents? No, sir, I haven't. Oh, there was something. I had a feeling. Well, go ahead, Bud. Let's get on with it. Dad, uh, Mom, I was out for a ride with the fellas this afternoon, and we uh, we knocked over Judge Mitchell's tree. His tree? Oh, Bud. What were you driving, a tank? <laughs> well, it... It was just a little tree, Dad, and all the fellas are going to chip in and buy a new one. Gosh, we said we were sorry. I should think you would be. Judge Mitchell, Bud, and his friends will replace your tree. I give you my word. Jim, it's not the tree that bothers me. You mean there's more? Well, my principal concern is the manner in which the tree was destroyed. Tell him, Bud. Well, we were playing chicken. Bud, after all I've said to you... Jim, I'm afraid I don't understand. What is chicken? Oh, it's a game these kids thought up. We didn't think it up, Dan. Well, whoever did ought to have his head examined. If he still has a head. Driving a car at full speed with nobody holding the wheel. The first one who gets a little sense into his thick skull and tries to control the car, he's chicken and he loses. Oh, Bud, how could you? Gosh, Mom, everybody does it. And if all the fellas hadn't gotten chicken at the same time, we'd have been all right. But, well... Everybody grabbed for the wheel at once, and... Heck, it was only a tree. It was only a tree. Bud, you can kneel down and thank all of your guardian angels that it was only a tree. What if your mother had been standing where that tree was? Or Betty, or Kathy? Would you have been able to stop any sooner or steer any better? No, I... I guess not. You guess not? Well, we'll go into this matter in great detail, believe me. Judge Mitchell. Yes, Jim? Bud was wrong, but I want you to know that I feel he isn't solely to blame. Oh, I suppose not, but... Uh... It's, uh, I don't mean the other boys. I have reference to myself. Oh? I'm going to be very honest, Judge Mitchell, very frank. I owe you a very humble apology. You mean for not being home so consistently? I, uh, avoided you all day, because I thought you wanted me to serve on your highway, highway safety, safety committee. I thought I was too busy. I'd let someone else take care of it. After all, my son was a competent driver. Why worry about the other fellow's problem? Well, Judge Mitchell, my son is not a competent driver. And the fault is mine. I taught him the mechanics of driving, how to start and stop a car and how to steer. But I failed to teach him the responsibility that goes with a car. I put a ton of steel in his hands, a weapon as deadly as any gun. And I failed to impress upon his mind the fact that when he's in a car, he holds the power of life and death in his fingertips. But he's going to be taught, Judge Mitchell. Before he touches a steering wheel again, he's going to know the full meaning of his responsibility. The car is not a toy. It's not an instrument for childish games. And he'll drive sensibly, safely, courteously, or I give you my word, he'll never drive again. Now, um... About the tree... Well, uh, we can just forget the tree, Jim. Let's say that it died for worthy cause. Jim. Yes, Margaret? Do you know what you just did? You just gave my speech. 
Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to muscle in on your territory. <laughs> oh, Jim, will you please stop being silly? Why don't you go along with me tomorrow and tell the same things to the other parents? I think they learn a great deal. Margaret, you know I don't want to make any speeches. Well, whatever you say, dear. But as long as you insist, I, uh... <laughs> well, I guess I might as well. All right, dear. Father knows best. So father's going to make his speech after all. Well, that's fine, because he does have something important to say. And right now, so do I. These days, when you buy coffee, you want the most in flavor for every penny you spend. After all, flavor's what you're paying for. And we don't think you can beat the famous flavor we pack into every pound of Maxwell House. But here's the point. Air can steal coffee flavor. And ordinary containers, like paper bags, can't prevent roasted coffee from losing flavor, whether it's ground or whole bean. That's why we take our Maxwell House, still fresh and fragrant from our roasting ovens, and carefully vacuum pack it in the familiar blue tin. That way, no air gets in, and none of that wonderful flavor gets out. So the next pound of coffee you buy, be sure you get all the flavor and fragrance you pay for. You will with Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight Father Knows Best is honored by a celebrated and rather unusual guest. An article concerning him and his wonderful work appeared in the November issue of Liberty Magazine and was reprinted in the December issue of Reader's Digest. That takes care of the celebrated part of it. As for the unusual, well, so far as I know, he is the only traffic court judge in the history of the United States ever to have warranted the use of the term popular. It's an honor and a very great privilege to introduce a young man who has made the city of Los Angeles a safer place in which to live, Judge Roger Faft. Thank you. Good evening, Bob. Uh, Your Honor, I, uh... <laughs> doggone, I just can't get used to feeling comfortable with a traffic court judge. I feel like I've just gone through a red light or something. Well, that'll be $25. <laughs> I said I feel like I've gone through it. Well, in that case, we'll suspend sentence. But don't let it happen again. Oh, thank you, Judge Fah. I uh, believe you know what we on Father Knows Best are trying to accomplish. I do, Bob, and I can't recommend too highly or endorse more heartily the program you are spearheading. The question of accidents involving young drivers and the unfortunate incidents of traffic casualties and fatalities has become a serious problem in every community in the nation. Something has to be done about it, and fast. You see, Bob, if it were a single problem, we could cope with it quite easily. If all the teenage drivers were incompetent or careless, we could insist that they avail themselves of the driver education and training courses being given in many high schools throughout America. A great many boys and girls have taken these courses and are taking them right now. But our problem is with competent drivers, skilled drivers. The youngster who is so confident of his ability 
that he takes ridiculous chances with his life and yours. Less than a year ago, a lad was brought into my courtroom on a charge so fantastic that it is almost unbelievable. This boy was driving a car in excess of 55 miles an hour without a steering wheel. There's only one uh, suitable comment for that. Bud's favorite and all-inclusive, holy cow. This boy was steering with a pair of pliers, and he was so confident of his ability that he couldn't for the life of him understand why we considered him a potential murderer. You see, Bob, that's the way these boys and girls must think of themselves whenever they take those wild, split-second chances, whenever they play chicken or hubcap tag or any of their other reckless and ridiculous games. In spite of their skill, which we do not question, in spite of their youth, which gives them reflexes much faster than yours or mine, these drivers are death on wheels. Their accidents going somewhere to happen. Well, Judge Foff, you don't mean that, of course, to apply to all young drivers. Oh, no, Bob, of course not. Most of them, I know, are sensible, intelligent youngsters. But it's hard to tell the innocent from the guilty, and so they all get a bad name. That's why I think the highway safety plan, as you explained it to me, should be welcomed by the young drivers. Why don't you tell them about it? Okay, I'll do it right now. Through the Inter-Industry Highway Safety Committee, which was formed at the request of President Truman, two clubs have been set up, a man-to-man club for fathers and sons and a counterpart on the distaff side for dads and daughters. Voluntary good driver agreements are provided for. These are agreements between parents and children to be signed by both, and they involve pledges on both sides. The father promises to grant permission to his son or daughter to drive the family car at appropriate times. And the youngster, well, he or she has to promise to abide by eight good driving rules. But they're sensible rules designed not to take the joy out of life, but rather to give you a longer life to enjoy. With each man-to-man or dad-to-daughter agreement, there is a membership card. And I'd like to see them riding in teenage pockets and hat bands all over the country. You know, Bob, that's quite an idea. Those membership cards will help to separate the black sheep from the innocence of the flock. The youngsters who are careful drivers, intelligent drivers, will no longer have to protest that it's the other fellow who takes chances, the other fellow who plays the wild games, the other fellow who gives all drivers a bad name. They can prove, by living up to the terms of these membership cards, that they have a right to the respect of their elders and a right to share the highways with their fellow citizens. Parents and young drivers, why don't you get one of these agreements right away? They're yours for the asking. Just send a note to the Robert Young Good Drivers Club, care of your local NBC station, and we'll shoot the works right back at you. Well, I guess that just about does it. Can you think of anything else, Judge Foth? Yes, just one other thing. You know, I have a slightly selfish interest in your whole highway safety movement. How is that? Well... I figure that if you can get all the drivers of this country to operate their vehicles safely, carefully, and with simple, good old-fashioned American courtesy, well, every once in a while, fellows like me will have a chance to go fishing. Good night, Bob. Good night, Judge Bob, and thank you for coming. (laughs) 
like good things the easy way. Good things the easy way. Instant Maxwell House, that's for you. Good, good coffee that's easy too. No time, no trouble. No grounds, no pot. And it's good to the very last. You, you know, know what? Yes, Instant Maxwell House means great coffee instantly in your cup. Here's real instant coffee. All pure Maxwell House coffee in instant form. Enjoy instant Maxwell House. Instantly. Good to the very last. You know what? Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. Don't forget, parents and youngsters, for your voluntary pledges and membership cards, just write to the Robert Young Good Drivers Club, care of your local NBC station. Now it's time to say goodnight, so until next Thursday, good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Screen Guild Theater, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Be sure to tune in next time, my friends, for another classic comedy radio show. I'm Greg Fordyce. Thanks for listening. Thanks for